Good morning, Central Baptist Church Saints, and good morning to you if you're joining us. Um, we thank the Lord for this moment that we get to spend time in His Word. Um, we're looking at Psalm 143 this morning, and we're learning to pray with David. Learning to pray with David. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 18, verse 1 up until verse 8, and there we saw the discipline of um, the discipline of intercession. And in that text, we looked at prayer. Um, but I, I, I thought that we should continue with that theme, looking at prayer even this morning from um, um, Psalm 143. Uh, let me read from God's Word and we continue um, as we look at God's Word this morning. Psalm 143, I read from the ESV. This is what it says. A Psalm of David. Hear my heart, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those who are dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for I trust. For in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for you, for I am your servant. And this is God's word. And let us take this time and pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, what a joy it is even this morning to come to you, to be taught and to learn from you how to pray. We pray that our hearts will draw near to you and our hearts will increase in our love for you each and every day. As we are standing in awe of you, amazed of your great love for us that was displayed on the cross through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we draw near to you and drink um, of your mercies, of your grace. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, we come today to another lesson on prayer. Uh, maybe you, you are saying to yourself and you're thinking, why do we have um, to have another lesson on prayer? Why, why do we need so many Bible verses um, and Bible passages on prayer? Well, why can't we have just one lesson on prayer and that's it? Well, there are two answers to, to that question that can be given. First, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, reminds us that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And secondly, and, and, and I'll focus on this, especially in this sermon. Not many of us handle trials rightly. 
I have seen many that profess to be Christians, when they encounter trials of various kinds, they get angry with God and fall away from the faith. And some turn to even worldly solutions or even false teaching. In the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, verse 3 to verse 20, uh, Jesus warns here about two out of the four types of soils which would fall away because of trials. The, the seed that is sown on the rocky soil at first received the word with joy, but when the affliction or, or persecution arose because of the word, they, they fell away. The seed sown among the thorns took long to, 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 to grow and it took longer to fail. But eventually the thorns which represent the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful. As I understand it, the, the only type of soil representing true believers is that which endures and brings forth fruit. Uh, false believers reveal their true colors by falling away and returning to their worldly lifestyle when they face trials. So we need to know here how to take our trials to the Lord in prayer so that we can endure and grow rather than fall away. That's why we have Psalm 143 in the Bible. Because we need this additional lesson on how to pray correctly as we face severe trials in our lives. It is not clear uh, what the, passage, the situation that led to the writing of the psalm is. But the language is general enough that all can identify with David. He, he was in a severe trial where he desperately needed God to answer him. And, and whether your trial is a life-threatening disease, the need for a job, a, a difficult person, a powerful sin that keeps defeating you, or, or whatever, David's lesson here on prayer will be helpful for you. And to sum it up, to sum it up here, we, we, what David is showing us is that we need to face overwhelming trials with heartfelt humble, believing, obedient prayer that seeks not only relief from the trial, but also to know God better. The, the psalm falls into two halves, divided by a musical notation, Sila, and we see that in verse 6. In the first half, from verse 1 to verse 6, David lays out his problem before the Lord, crying out to him to hear and answer him. In the second half, which is verse 7 to verse 12, he presents his prayer to God, repeatedly crying out to God to answer him and to teach him to do his will before it is too late. Since, a number of, since there are a number of, of themes that are repeated because of the intensity of David's feelings here, I, I thought it best not to work through the psalm verse by verse, but, but from, from first to last, but rather somewhat thematically under three main headings. First of all, let's, um, first, the first thematic heading that we see here is that being godly or even being one of God's chosen leaders does not exempt us from severe trials. Although David was God's servant, when you look at verse 2 and verse 12, and was a man after God's own heart, as attested in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, God allowed David to be pushed to the brink where he despaired of life itself. 
And many times he thought that Saul would succeed in killing him. And he, he remember that he told Jonathan at one point and in second in First Samuel chapter two twenty verse three, saying, "There's hardly a step between me and death." Again, during Absalom's rebellion, David's army would, would, would not let him go into battle because they knew that he was the main target. And note how he describes his situation in Psalm 143. He says in verse 3 to verse 4, For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those who, um, long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, observes here that every phrase here is so heavy with distress that no sufferer need feel unique in what he experiences. And the similarity of these terms to, to those that describe our Lord's emotions reminds us that none need to feel himself alone or less than fully understood. This lesson that God does not exempt any of us from trials is especially needed now because of the prosperity gospel. It is being spread like wildfire in the city of Rustenburg, in the, in the surrounding places of Rustenburg, and even in our country. The claim of the prosperity gospel is that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, that you don't have to suffer illness or poverty. And in order to do so, you just claim your healing or you just claim by faith that new car that you want. And again, the catch is if you give money to us, we'll pray for your miracle. If you sow your seed, we'll pray for your miracle. And, and, and victims of this abhorrent doctrine are born every minute. But because scripture clearly exposes the, the falsehood of this error, um, we, we, we get to see that it appeals to the flesh. God uses trials so that we share in his holiness. When you look at Hebrews chapter 12, the, 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 the Apostle Paul shares uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and, and 9, this is what he says. He says, For we do, not want to be, we, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our, our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And again, when you observe the, the, the letter of 2 Corinthians, several times in that letter, he, he tells of, of the difficult trials that had come upon him as an apostle. Again, with the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered horribly at the at the hands of sinners, he, he warned us in, in John chapter 15, verse 20. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The apostle Peter, again in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, verse, verse 12, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So in other words, when we hear this, um, the, 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 the most important thing is that we shouldn't 
fall trap to the prosperity gospel. We shouldn't fall for the lie of the prosperity gospel. You see, being godly does not exempt anyone from trials, but you need to know how to respond when you encounter such trials. Secondly, what the the psalmist shows us here Um, The second theme of the psalm is that heartfelt, humble, believing, obedient prayer is how to respond when you face severe trials. Heartfelt, humble, believing, obedient prayer is how you respond when you face severe trials. You see, in this life-threatening crisis, David turned to God. Uh, Again, this is not an automatic response, is it? As we saw from the parable of the sower, rather than turning to God in trials, many turn away from him. Many become angry at him. Many start to charge him with accusations of him not being good. But but the more intense the trial, the more diligently you need to seek the Lord. Uh, But you, 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 you need to seek him also in the right way. David teaches us here four vital lessons about prayer in the section. He shows us, first of all, that prayer should be heartfelt. Prayer should be heartfelt. David's heartfelt cry bleeds through the entire psalm. First of all, it begins in verse 1. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. In verse 6, he cries out again, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like like a parched land. He continues again in verse 7 and says, answer me. In verse 8, he says, let me hear in the morning your steadfast love. In verse 9, deliver me. In verse 12, he says, cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. He's a desperate man crying out for deliverance before his enemies um, kill him. And while we may rarely be in such a life-threatening situation, David's prayer teaches us that we, we will not pray as we ought to unless we recognize our weakness and need, and therefore our total dependence on God. Many unbelievers go to their graves without the Lord because they are oblivious of the peril of judgment by a holy, all-knowing God who will judge them by his perfect standard. In fact, the greatest danger are often those that we do not perceive. During the week, I was looking at um, um, heaters. Um, because it's winter and and I went on the internet because we have a small baby in the house to see um, some of the the, the the safe heaters that we could be using and um, I, I thought about a gas heater and I went on the internet and and typed is a gas heater um, um, safe for babies and and what I discovered is that a gas heater has has carbon monoxide um, it, it's a, it's a it's an odorless 
um, you know, gas that you wouldn't see. And if you sleep in the house with that um, heater on, it might result in a fatality in the house. It might result in people dying. And, and, and so it is something that we do not see and do not perceive. Uh, but people can die from carbon monoxide poisoning because they cannot smell or see the deadly gas. In the same way, Satan loves many into breathing the deadly gas of good works. That they think I'm 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 a pretty good person. I've never deliberately hurt or killed anyone. I'm not a child molester, so I, 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 I sure would go to heaven. I, I would be good enough to go to heaven. Even as believers, we often do not realize our own inadequacy. And so we do not depend on the Lord in prayer. We, we assume that we can handle things on our own unless we, we get into a huge problem. So, so the Lord sends us overwhelming trials so that we will not trust in ourselves, but in God through heartfelt prayer. But not only heartfelt prayer, prayer should also be humble. Prayer should be humble. David asked God here to answer in his faithfulness and righteousness. I understand him to mean here, answer me according to your faithful promises to your people and in accordance with your way of exonerating the righteous and punishing the wicked. But no sooner are the words out of his mouth that, that he is caught up short. He realizes, but I'm not completely innocent either. His prayer would, would have to bring judgment on himself. So he quickly adds in verse 2, Enter not into judgment with your servant. No one, for no one living is righteous before you. As you know, there are several Psalms where David pleads with God on the basis of his own innocence. When you look at Psalm chapter 7, verse 3 to 5, and verse 8. When you look at Psalm chapter 18, verse 20, we see David pleading with God based on his innocence. William van Gemeren explains here that both expressions are valid. Depending on the context in which one finds himself, the confession of innocence is appropriate when one is insulted and persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the confession of guilt is proper when one is confronted with one's own frailties. So in other words, when David goes to God and, 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 and appeals to God um, on the basis of his innocence and at the same time um, saying to God that there's no one who can truly stand before you as, as righteous. What David is, is recognizing there is that when he is persecuted and, and he's innocent, he can appeal to God based on that. At the same time, he recognizes that God is holy and one cannot stand with him, before him on, based on their own works. And so he appeals to the righteousness of God and the mercy of God. Here, David is painfully aware of his own sins. So he asks God not to bring him to the bar of his absolute righteousness. Rather, he appeals to God's loving kindness in verse 8, which is his loyal covenant love. He, he asks the Lord in his loving kindness to, to not cut him off or, uh, and to cut off and destroy his enemies. Again, in verse 12, David asks 
God in verse 11, for your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In other words, he appeals to the attributes of God here, his name, and again to his covenant love for his people. That's why we pray whenever we pray in Jesus' name, which means when we say in Jesus' name, we are saying on the basis of all that he is and his covenant promises to us. We, we, we don't pray on the basis of our own merits and our own good deeds. So we pray with humility, with humbleness before God. Prayer is heartfelt. It is humble. And, and thirdly, prayer should be believing. Prayer should be believing. David affirms his trust in the Lord in verse 8. He bases his prayer, as we have seen, on God's faithfulness and righteousness. We, we, he can always be trusted to be faithful and righteous. There is faith behind God's, uh, David's confession here. He says in verse 10, you are my God. David strengthened his faith by meditating on all God's doings and work from the days of old. When you look at verse 5, if we come to God in prayer, we must come in faith that he is able to answer. You see, prayer must be heartfelt, it must be humble, and it must be believing. Lastly, prayer should be obedient to God's will. Prayer should be obedient to God's will. And uh, that is, it must flow from a heart that is ready to do God's will. We, we cannot pray and expect God to answer if we are unwilling to follow him completely. If, if, we, we, if we are just using prayer to get out of our crisis and, and then we can put God back on the shelf and go back to acting as if we are the Lord of our lives, we are really practicing idolatry. Idolaters, idolaters try to use their God to get what they want. And followers of, of the living and true God submit to him even through trials. Also, again, whenever you are in a trial caused by a sinful person who is trying to get you, it is easy to react against their sin by sinning yourself. He angrily threatens you, so you yell back threats at him. He cheats you, so you connive to cheat him. He lied um, about you, so you lie about him. So it is especially important that you be on guard against this. With a teachable heart, pray that you will know and be obedient to God's will in the trial. Thus David here prays that he might know and do God's will. He, he asked in verse 8, make me know the way I should go. Then he goes a step further in verse 10a. He says, teach me to do your will. He's asking not just that he will know God's way or will, but also that he will, he will know how to do it. He doesn't want to be just a hearer of God's word, but he also wants to be a doer of God's word. He adds in verse 10b, he says, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. This is a similar request in the Lord's Prayer and in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, when Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not, do not lead us into temptation. Derek Kidner points out that David's three requests for guidance in verse 8 to 10, each has its own nuance. The, the, the first make me know the way I should go, in verse 8, has an individual flavor showing that each of us is uniquely placed and called. 
The second, teach me to do your will in verse 10, circles the priorities, making the goal not making the goal not self-fulfillment, but pleasing God and finishing his work. The third, let your good spirit guard me on level ground. Uh, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. In, in verse 10, speaks with the humility of one who knows his need of shepherding, not merely of having the right way pointed out to him. The, the, the request for level ground implies the admission that one is prone to stumble and not only to stray. Thus David teaches us that our prayers in times of crisis must be heartfelt, humble, believing, and obedient. But not only that, we, we also need the right aim in prayer. We also need the right aim to prayer. And that's what we see in the third theme of the psalm, that our aim in prayer should not only be to gain relief from our trials, but also to know God better. Our aim in prayer should not only be to gain relief from our trials, but also to know God better. You see, all too often our prayer in, in the time of Christ is, Lord, get me out of this in as fast as you can. Uh, David does pray um, like that here. He, he, uh, in verse 7, he says, answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. He is on the brink of becoming like those who go down to the pit, those who go to death, that is those who die. So he, he needs help fast, but he also realizes that this is a time to go deeper with the Lord. What we realize here is that there is nothing wrong with pleading with God for quick relief from our trials. David prayed that the child which he conceived with Bathsheba not die. But God did not grant his request. King Hezekiah prayed that God would heal him of what Isaiah had said would be a fatal illness. And God granted him 15 more years of life. The Apostle Paul asked God three times to take away the thorn in his flesh, whatever it was. But when God told Paul, when God responded to Paul, he said to him in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, My grace is sufficient for you. And, and Paul submitted to God's purpose in his trials. When Jesus prayed in, in the garden, and in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, and saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not, I, not, not as I will, but as you will. So it is not wrong to pray that God would remove the trial as long as we submit to his sovereign will. But also what we see here is that in our desperate cries for relief, we must not only focus on the, we, we, we must not lose focus on the greater purpose to come to God, to come to know God better. David does not just cry out for God to save him from his enemies. He also cries out for God himself. He, he meditated on God's doings and on the work of his hands in verse 5. In other words, he went back and rehearsed how God has acted on his behalf uh, and, and on behalf of his people in the past. He, he thought about how God has delivered his people. He meditated on God's work in creation, which displayed his power and his infinite understanding. He, he wanted to know God and his ways more deeply. 
Also, David stretched out his hand to God in verse 6 as a little child reaches out, reaches up for his parent to pick him up. He, he wants that intimate contact with God. He adds in verse 6, my soul thirsts for you like a patched land. He asked God not to hide his face from him in verse 7. He wants to hear God's loving kindness in the morning. In verse 8, he lifts up his soul to God. He, 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 he takes refuge in God himself in verse 9. He prays to God to revive him in verse 11. In all of this, he, his repeated prayer is to you. He was seeking God himself, not just relief from his enemy. It is very easy in a time of intense trial just to focus on the need for relief rather than to use the trial to get to know God better. Often we ask the Lord, Lord, why is this happening to me? But the better question in a time of trial to ask is that, Lord, how can I get to know you better through this trial? Lord, give me a teachable heart so that I come to know you better. Lord, don't let me miss the lesson that you want me to learn here. You see, as John Piper prayed when he was diagnosed with cancer, he prayed, Lord, don't waste this cancer on me. He wanted to learn what God was trying to teach him. What, what trial are you currently going through? And what, God, what is God teaching you in that trial? Are you wasting that trial by complaining to God, by questioning the wisdom and goodness of God, by thinking that God has left you? May you pray as John Piper prayed, Lord, don't waste this trial on me. May, may the trials that God bring in our lives fulfill their intended purpose. Trials are God's servant sent to fashion and shape his children. Let us review what we have learned. Why do we need this lesson on prayer? Well, we need it because we all face trials, some of which are overwhelming. We need it because false teaching appeals to our flesh, promising us instant health and, and wealth, if we only believe. We need it because we, so that we can learn how to pray in a time of trials with heartfelt, humble, believing, and obedient prayer. We, we need to learn from the Lord himself. We need to learn from our Lord Jesus Christ, who had this intimacy with God, and who spent time praying before the Lord, seeking to know um, the Lord and, and to, 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 to have this intimacy you know, with, with God. We are his children. He expects us to come to him. It, it is not just a duty. It is, it is out of a passion for God. It is out of love for him that we draw near to him in prayer. And may God bless our hearts as, 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 and, and revive us to call out to him and to love him and to draw to him in prayer. Amen. May God bless you as you think about his word.